Welcome to the New Jersey Department of Education's Bureau of Bilingual ESL Education Podcast. I am Ken Bond, a state program coordinator and your host. In this podcast, I have bite-sized conversations about English language learner education with leaders in the field. During this episode, I'll be talking with Kevin Lamastra about Friends Beyond Borders professional learning experiences. Kevin is the founding director of Friends Beyond Borders and the acting supervisor of World Languages, ESL, and Bilingual at Linden Public Schools. Kevin, thank you so much for being my guest on this episode. It's my pleasure, Ken. I'm a big fan of the podcast. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm a big fan of your work, so it's really exciting to have you here. Could you tell me a little bit about the origins of Friends Beyond Borders and how it started and, and what some of the progress has been that you've made with the organization? Okay, well, the, the project has its origins in my classroom back in 94 when I started in Linden as an ESL teacher. I knew that to be a more effective teacher, I really had to learn more about my students' lives, where they came from, the communities, the families. And, you know, my own personal experiences were quite different from those of my students. Um, back in 94, that was a very powerful time to be a new teacher. Um, there were a lot of changes happening in the world. And I remember very distinctly in, in the ESL class, we would use current events as a source for teaching and learning and developing vocabulary and reading. And there was a story about how uh, some immigrant workers who had come over from Mexico were living in the forest uh, in an abandoned cement mixer. And there was a, a big controversy in the paper with the letters to the editor on how the situation should be handled. So I got very interested in this issue of global migration and human rights. And there's a, a teaching magazine called Rethinking Schools, which uh, really takes a social justice point of view on the intersections between things happening in the world and education. And they offered a trip to the uh, U.S.-Mexican border and uh, was a very powerful professional development experience because we had gotten to learn about immigration issues from a human rights perspective, a government perspective. We, we met with people who worked the border control, looked at the technology involved. We met with um, human rights workers on the other side of the border. We met women working in free trade zones, or as they're called there, Miquiladoras. So it was possible to, to get an understanding from going and directly speaking with the people. And it, I realized it was a very valuable experience for me as a teacher to, to be able to understand immigration from that perspective. And it also changed my stance as a teacher uh, in many ways. This was really a genesis from that initial experience that you had, Friends Beyond Borders. So tell me a little bit about the organization itself. What do you do in your professional learning experiences mm -hmm. with teachers? Well, what had happened was I, I learned so much on that original trip that I described to you how it was set up. And in teaching ESL and French, I also wanted to connect to the real world in a meaningful way. And I'm, as I was teaching the French class, I wanted to look um, at the lives of Haitian migrant workers 
Uh, this was something that was very interesting to my students. Many of the students in my community were of Haitian origin. And we had been studying a book called La Rue Casseneuve from Martinique. And it was, you know, set in the early 1900s about uh, families working on sugarcane plantations. And my students want to know if these things still happen today, if the situations are still the same. And my research led me to the Dominican Republic, where there were Haitian migrant workers living in much the same condition as that we had read about in the book we had studied. And uh, it began with a little bit of a, a, let's say, a charity project where we collected school supplies, um, backpacks full of um, pencils and notebooks, and um, I brought them over to the Dominican Republic and met with teachers who worked. They call these areas bates. They're like shanty towns where stateless people in many cases um, live and worked at that time in the sugarcane industry. And as I developed more experience there, I'd gone two years for that same kind of purpose. I saw that it could be a very valuable experience for other teachers, and I developed a a, a cast a, a wide net over a variety of issues that would help people to understand extreme poverty in the so-called developing world in a more meaningful way. So we would look at not only global migration and human rights, but women's issues, uh, issues that involve labor, work, health, and of course, all the time, our interconnectedness um, between the United States, Europe, and, and Latin America. People come with a, a, a lot of ideas based on their own life experiences, and sometimes it could be very helpful to complicate those ideas by exposing yourself to situations and dialogues with people whom you would never have a chance to speak with before. When teachers come with you and they have these experiences in, in shanty towns and, and with folks who are living in these conditions. Could you just describe how teachers react to the poverty of the folks that they interact with and, and what, what they see there? People had come to this trip with a lot of different expectations. Um, and of course, the people who sign up for this trip, they have a big heart because they, they legitimately, perhaps let's say they feel sympathy for the people because they know they're going to see extreme poverty. But sometimes they say things that reveal what I, I think might be a, a misguided understanding of poverty. For example, if I could only take the domino out of that person's hand and replace it with the book, then we could reverse that situation. So as you can see, they're, they're kind of ideas that where people see poverty and at the same time have a deficit kind of lens where they're blaming that condition on the individual person. And that's because they don't have a lot of other information. They come from experiences in life where they believe that anyone that works hard and with enough grit can succeed. And I think after eight days, learning about the history, hearing from the different people, learning the different stories of individuals, those previously held ideas about poverty uh, become more nuanced. And it, that process of unlearning takes place. And those previous held beliefs begin to become more complicated. 
So it sounds like there's a lot of learning that goes on in this trip in terms of what it means to live in a global world and what impact some of that can have on folks. How is this professional learning opportunity in another country, though? How does that benefit teachers in U.S. classrooms working with immigrant students? Well, I, th I think what I was just talking about, for example, poverty plays a, a very key role in, in our efforts to help culturally diverse students, particularly those of us who are, who are working in schools, teaching across borders of racial, cultural, socio socioeconomic differences. It's really important how we frame our language. George Lakoff does a lot of talk about the power of frames. And to apply it in, in our context, for example, where we talk about an achievement gap, if we constantly give teachers statistics and information about students in poverty not measuring up, black, Latino students, if that is presented devoid of a human context without a critical analysis of systems that, are, that play a role in perpetuating poverty or sustaining it, then it's very very tempting for people to continue within a deficit framework. So there are teachers you'll see that'll change the language a little bit and talk rather than an achievement gap, they'll talk about an opportunity gap. Another example of framing for ESL teachers, you know, there's that language of limited English proficient, which again, it can sound like a deficit. So there are other teachers who will talk about their students being emergent bilinguals. I think that framing is very important, uh, especially if we're trying to develop teachers to, to better serve culturally diverse students. What types of teachers are, are going with you, and what types of teachers do you hope will go in the future on these trips with Friends Beyond Borders? Well, you know, I've done this trip, I, I guess, about 12 years now, and every time it's a new and exciting experience for me, and the learning really happens because of the diversity that happens within the group. I get teachers from kindergarten through university. I get, I get teacher educators from the university level, every content area. And the, the diversity of um, uh, political opinions and points of view, we have liberal, conservative, radical people that are faith-based. Uh, what's very powerful is for people to debrief together and bounce all of these ex intense experiences that, that, they're, that they're seeing in the so-called developing world, to bounce them uh, um, against their lived classroom experiences and as a group to, to, to debrief and to learn from one another. So in conversations that we had before we did this interview, we talked about culturally sustaining pedagogy. And as you think about this trip, and the, the trips that you've taken, and culturally sustaining pedagogy, how have, how have those two things interacted? How have the trips really furthered culturally sustaining pedagogy in U.S. classrooms? Well, I, I think I can speak from my own personal experience, um, and it's helped me to develop the ethical disposition to be able to teach across cultural borders. The experience teaches us to always value the home cultures, the home languages, the experience of our students, and to be able to assume the role of teacher and learner at the same time, to 
as the truth is unfolding, as our experiences are unfolding. Um, so it's, a, it's about constant mindfulness, critique, and reflection. And um, one of the things that, that I've done in, in PDs with teachers recently, um, maybe just a few weeks ago, I was doing a PD with some Spanish teachers. We were in a small group, and we were looking at a clip from a documentary on the Chicano movement in the 60s. And these teachers were absolutely shocked. There was a a clip where um, a student is actually punished for speaking Spanish in class. Uh, The teacher had a paddle hanging up on the wall, and over the paddle was a sign that said, if it's worth saying, it's worth saying in English. Mm. And the, the teachers just couldn't believe that there was ever a time in our country where something like this would take place. But, you know, in in history, we have a a tendency, or we did in the past, and hopefully we've learned from it, a tendency to use education as an assimilating force. We've come a long way since then, and, you know, we've gone through a period of time where we talked about culturally relevant pedagogy, and now we're looking to see not only how can we build on the knowledge, skills, found in in our students' lives, but can we do something to sustain them at the same time? For us as ESL teachers, that's most obvious when we talk about biliteracy, um, where we're not only helping the students to acquire English, but we're doing something to maintain both languages and to help them not lose the home culture and the home language. When we think about heritage Spanish, sometimes that class can be boiled down to helping Latino students, quote, speak Spanish correctly, to read Cervantes. These are all really important and powerful things. But at the same time, we need to be sensitive that we're not discouraging students from using Spanish, for example, from the way it's spoken in their communities, and not at the same time, you know, validating that and building upon it. So, you know, we're looking to see how we can work into the curriculum something that might even be more powerful. How about helping Latino students to develop this critical understanding of language and power and how it affects identity and and to look at that and to also include that with what we've traditionally done in Heritage Spanish. That's a great example of... uh, very concrete step that has been taken to really sustain culture of, of the students in, in your school in Linden and to think through what you can do to help them to do so in the context of, of a U.S. education and learning experience. That's great. So for a teacher who is considering going on a Friends Beyond Borders trip, and thinking about, wow, this sounds like like an exciting opportunity to be able to engage with people and to construct more knowledge about the the situations that that some of my students are coming from. What will they see? Well, what they'll experience is they'll have opportunities to talk to people, real people-to-people experiences. You know, a, a lot of trips that that are similar where they bring teachers to other countries. 
a lot of times there's a mediating force. They go with an NGO or they'll go with a, a university professor or they'll go with groups who, who, who actually speak for the communities and speak for the people. And taking the model that I was given from rethinking schools in that original experience in Mexico, we tried to avoid that and we tried to find hosts that are local teachers and local communities, activists, whether they're doing work in global migration and human rights, environmental work, women's issues, artists. We let people hear directly from the people on the ground, their point of view, their real lived experiences. And, you know, we try to encourage dialogue. So it's sharing and not just one way. And what do those dialogues look like? Are you meeting in fancy hotels and in universities? What, where are they taking place? And how are teachers able to experience what's being discussed in those dialogues? They take place in a variety of places, but I mean, on the floor of a factory where people are making 85 cents an hour, making, you know, name brand clothing. Uh, they'll, they'll take place in a sugarcane field. They'll take, they'll take place in someone's home. I, I limit the amount of people that can go on the trip to about 20 people because we're not going into, you know, like um, an auditorium or a classroom. You know, we're in people's living rooms sometimes. And we don't want to be obtrusive because we're going to places where people have important work to do and they're, they're not places where tourists normally visit. And, you know, that's something that that I need to help the participants understand that we really are the beneficiaries of this experience, you know, as opposed to the model for these trips where people are going and bringing gifts and donations, planting a garden, painting a mural. This kind of turns that premise on its head, and we go with the knowledge up front that we're going to learn from the local community. Sure, we can, we can, we can bring some medicine, we can bring some gifts, but the real focus of our trip is to come as learners. So Friends Beyond Borders has been around now for 12 years, and you've been doing this type of work for, for 12 years. What do you hope for the next 12 years for this program? What, what do you envision happening and what is the impact that you envision for this program? What I would really like people to do is move through a few stages. Sympathy is the, the basic emotion that, that you feel sorry for another person. Empathy is where you begin to actually feel some of that person's pain. And then solidarity is when you begin to understand that we're all in this together and we're working to make the world a more just and equitable place. And as teachers, especially teachers who are, who are working with underserved communities, a position of solidarity is a, a very good position to teach from. Kevin, this interview has really been wonderful. I've really enjoyed so much learning more about this program and about the wonderful impact that it's having in so many schools around New Jersey. Thank you for joining me today. It's been great to talk with you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you're interested in finding out more about Friends Beyond Borders, you can visit their website at friendsbeyondborders.us. If you would like more information about ESL and bilingual education in New Jersey, please visit our website at www.nj.gov forward slash education forward slash bilingual. 
If you like this episode, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Also, please leave a review. It helps new listeners find us.